one more time just for me. Repeat the topic, please. Say, taking charge of your time before it runs out. I like having one big question, and the big question today is very simple. Where did my time go, and what can I do about it? Everybody has moments when you feel like you wasted time. And you look at your time, and you're 30 years old, 40 years old, 16, then 19. You're in high school, then you're in college. You're in college, then you're in, it's amazing, you're married, you got kids. Time just gets away from you. What do you do when you feel like you've wasted time? What do you do when you feel like time's gotten away from you? Romans chapter 13 gives us a guideline in the Message Bible that really challenges you to respect the fact that time does run out. And I want to show you a guy in the Bible, one guy, his name was Judas, and his time ran out. But I want to show you that the Lord gave him three and a half years to get it right. It's one of the most fascinating studies. I've, I've never, I've, I rarely teach on Judas because I don't like his story. But I, I find this teaching to be really inf- interesting because what I'm going to say about him, you'll see, really shows you how you can have an opportunity and abuse it. He had three and a half years with Jesus in person. He was on the front row of all the miracles, front row of all the healings, front row of everything. And he chose to not respond. How much have you seen? How much do you know? How good has God been to you? How many miraculous opportunities have you had in your life? There's a lot about Judas that's that's really scary. And there's a lot about Judas that we we can relate to. We can see ourselves in him. It's easy to read the guy and get this harsh opinion of him. But how much like Judas are we? How long has it been? Let me just ask the question. If you've been here more than three and a half years, if you've been in church, you've been serving God for more than three and a half years, think about that for a moment. Think about that for a minute. You've had as long as he had. Have you made the same decisions he's made? To betray what you believe and betray what you know. Betray your values, betray your God, Betray what you know God's will is for your life. You've had a long time compared to him. I asked this question last night. Let me ask it again. How many of you have been here longer than three and a half years? Raise your hand. Look at that. Wow. Almost everybody. It's amazing when you think about that. You've had a long time. You've got more than three and a half years of sermons in you, more than three and a half years of Bible verses, more than three and a half years of of Christian music, you've been singing. You've had more than three and a half years of sermons, church services. What could be the reason why you're not moving forward? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Because in this moment, you're going to see Judas did not take charge early enough. He took charge, but way late. Let me give you an example. Look at Romans chapter 13. Let me lay the foundation for you. I want you to just think these thoughts with me. Kind of helps you see how it should flow in your mind, in your life. Here's what he said. Romans 13, verse 11. Make sure that you don't get so absorbed 
and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off. Don't get so busy working. Don't get so caught up in your work that you doze off. You lose track of time and doze off. Oblivious to God. Verse 12. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. Be up and awake. Pay attention to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. If you want to know what God's doing, wake up, he says, and notice God's about saving people. We'll talk about that next week. The real purpose of God right now is to save people. It's not just to build churches. It's not just to get people to come and sit in the audience and hear a guy talk. It's more about helping people. He wants to deliver people. Salvation, saving people, is about delivering people. The, the, the person who's, um, I, I, was, I, was, I was near somebody the other day, and I, and I, I, just, I just thought, man, you don't even know how bound you are. You don't even have a clue how, how out of control your life looks. I was with this, standing by this young lady, and I could just tell she's just lost. She's just lost. She's trying to be found, but lost. That's, those are the kind of people that, that Jesus cares about. Those are the people that he wants to touch. Verse 13. We can't afford to waste a minute. Must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgences and sleeping around and dissipation, which is being intoxicated, or in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Like on Friday. It's called Black Friday, right? Our lives are focused on grabbing everything, getting everything, having everything. That's not what it's supposed to be about. So there are three concerns here that he ex- expressed. Number one, you can't, you can get obsessed. You can get obsessed, and then you can secondly lose track of time, and then thirdly, you can end up dozing off. Be careful about that. Now, those are concerns in that text. Then he admonishes them in the same text to remember three things. You must live an awake life. Be up and awake. Secondly, you must afford, you can't afford rather to waste time. Then thirdly, he says, you, 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 can't, you can't wait to the last minute. You don't want to be that kind of person. And in our study today, we're going to see a guy who did that. We're going to see a guy who really had a three-and-a-half-year opportunity, but he wasted it. His name is Judas, and there are seven observations about Judas who took charge in his life, but he took charge too late. And I want you to follow me as I go through this because the bottom line message is you have to take charge in your life. Repeat with me, please. That I must take charge before it's too late. First of all, there's seven observations I want to make about Judas, and I want you to notice these. And again, this is where I'm going to invert the order. Uh, after I did this, I just felt like I need to change the order a little bit so you can flow a little bit better with me. So notice the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus was, Judas was chosen by Jesus. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Judas was chosen by Jesus. Luke 6, 12 through 15 says this. It came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose, notice this, he, Jesus, chose 12 
whom he also named apostles. Apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother. I want you to notice the family relationships with the disciples. About half of them were related. And there's a whole message in that about God calling a family to ministry. James and John, those are brothers as well. Then there's Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot, uh, which really described his zealous attitude. He is a very, um, you, you call him political, very political guy, very highly energized person, very opinionated. And then you have Judas, uh, sons of James, and Judas Iscariot. So you got two Judases, but one Judas Iscariot is the guy that's the traitor. So here's what I want you to notice. Jesus chose Judas. Jesus chose him. That's important. Jesus did not ignore his issues, but gave him a chance. God will choose people and give them opportunities, put them in positions to give them a chance, knowing they're going to fail. But he loves them enough to give them a chance. Judas had an opportunity. I have to step back when I read his story and remember Jesus chose him. Now, some of us will say, we should only choose people that are going to be perfect. Well, that means none of us will be chosen. Here's an important thing to understand. Jesus didn't predetermine he would be unfaithful. Jesus just knew it. But he still gave him the chance. To me, that's impressive. Now, here's where we're going to jump down to number six. You ready? Okay. It's called inverted order, people. We're going to jump around. First, secondly, Judas hid his motives, John 4, 12, 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Let me pause here for a minute. This is the chapter where Jesus is um, honored with the washing of his, of his uh, the oil is poured, poured on him. Um, spikenard is what it was called, and it was a, uh, an ointment that was very expensive. It was a year's wage. So take your year's wage, put it in one little bottle of ointment, and pour it on Jesus. It's the anointing of Jesus in John 12. And it's, it's, it was a powerful statement because she was showing her the value of Jesus to her. The most expensive thing in the house was worth him. And, and when he did this, Judas saw it, and Judas said, what in the world are you doing? You could have taken that, and you could have, you could have given that oil to the poor. You didn't have to pour that on Jesus. And here's what, here's what, here's what uh, John says. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Now, that's important. He said this not because he cared about the poor. Let me put it again, because he was a thief. I put it in bold print for you. This guy was a thief. John knew it. Do you think Jesus did not? Now, what's amazing is this was a decision he made. This shows his motive. This is a guy who had an opportunity. He was the, he's the banker. Now, here's the message. How could Jesus survive with somebody, if people say Jesus was broke, how could he survive 
He's got 12 guys on staff full time. They're traveling around. They've got families. They left their businesses. Nobody's family starved. And you got a guy stealing money from you. He can't be too broke. Say amen. Yeah. Just think about it. Just think about it. I'm not saying he's wealthy rich. I'm just saying it was working out. And John gives you an insight into this guy's life. He's stealing from them. So, number, number three, but it's number two on your list. Flip it back. Ready? Jesus, Judas, made a conscious decision to betray Jesus. Mark chapter 14, verse 43. Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a saying, sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under, under, under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. This is that famous moment in scripture where Judas makes the decision. I'm cashing in. I'm not, I'm not, my motive is money. I'm not getting any money out of this deal. He's talking about dying. I'm going to, I'm going to turn him over. Now, please understand number four on your list. Ready? Hang with me. Judas was known to have issues. He was known to have issues before this. This wasn't a surprise. Jesus said, this is in John 6, 6 67. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to give away, do you want to go, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you? Jesus said, look at this now, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a what? Devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Well, he was the guy who was going to betray him. Jesus chose a guy with issues. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Jesus chose a guy with issues. One more time. Say it again. Come on. Jesus chose a guy with issues. Just like me. Maybe I didn't have the issues that Judas had. Maybe I didn't get a crowd of people to, to come and capture Jesus. I didn't do anything like that. But, but what have you done? That's an issue. This is a guy with issues. And this is the guy that didn't just have issues. Look at, look at number five on your list. This is a guy that planned it. This is a compromise that was planned, Luke 22, verse 3. Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who, was, one of the, who was, a, one, uh, was of the number of the 12. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the crowd. It's all about money. It's all about advantage. It's all about opportunity. It's all about one thing for him. That is a deep well to be in. He's in a bad place. Got issues, he's lied, he's betrayed, he's stealing money. You would think this guy is just hopeless. Well, please notice number three. 
Matthew chapter 27. Look at Matthew 27, verse 3, under number 3 in your notes. It says, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, repeat with me, please, he changed his mind. He came around. He came around. He finally saw it. Oh, man, this is wrong. Oh, man, this is all bad. My motive was wrong. I shouldn't have done this. Oh, man, this is terrible. I, I got paid for it, too. I took 30 pieces of silver. I shouldn't have done it. Read one more time. What did he do? You can relate to that, right? But notice, and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. He gave the money back. He didn't go to the disciples. He, didn't go to, he couldn't go to Jesus because Jesus was arrested by this time because of him. But he goes to the guys that gave him the money. He's feeling bad about it. He is emotionally lost right now. You ever been there? You ever did something, and now you think about it? You look back at your previous marriage, you go, oh, man, that didn't have to end because of that. Can't believe I got upset over that. You ever played back what you say to your kids, and you go, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. Are your in-laws or, you know, something happens in your life and now you can relate to your previous boss because you're a boss now. Everything in your mind has changed. Oh, gosh, I shouldn't have been working that hard. Or I shouldn't have been gone that much. Or, oh, I should have, I should have, I should have. And every, every, I'm really fine as long as I stretch with these bones. But if I don't, oh, payday. And every, every time it happens, it happened this week, if I forget a day or two, right, and I'm getting, getting kind of feeling myself and I don't do it, and it hits me, I go, oh, oh, oh. Groan with me. Say, oh. No, no, groan like you're really grown. Come on. Oh. There you go. Yeah, yeah. When it hits you, you go, payday, payday, payday. And, and if you're not careful, it's too late. For this moment, pain. You may get over it in about an hour or so or a day, but you, sir, must pay. This guy changed his mind, brought back the money, and then he said these amazing words. I have sinned. Say it with me, please. Come on. I have sinned. And then he goes further. I didn't just sin. By betraying innocent blood. Who would know better than Judas? Three and a half years. He'd been with him three and a half years. He watched him. Lived with him. Ate with him. He knew. This guy's done nothing. I was totally wrong. Now, when you, you think of Judas, most people don't think of this verse. But I, I think when you look at Matthew 27, it's amazing. Because here, it basically says the guy was really sincere. Have you ever been here? Have you ever messed up so badly and said, oh, Oh, I can't believe I did that. You, you're now taking charge. But your son is 18. You're taking charge. But it's only now when you're standing in front of the divorce judge. You're taking charge now, but it's after you've missed 18 days of work. After they've given you five chances. You're taking charge. 
but you're already pregnant. You're taking charge now. See, I want you to notice the topic. Take charge of your life before time runs out. Take charge of your life. Take charge of your time before you get to the place where there are no more college cash, no more college cash to fund your experience at this season of your life. You must now work for 10 years, five years. And maybe you'll get a chance to take another class in five years. You don't believe that when you're young because you have this false assumption that your parents are going to be able to do this indefinitely, and that's wrong. Or the idea, here's another one, that you're going to live with these people. You mean they're going to put me out? Something will happen. If you don't believe me, look around you. Room full of people like that. That's why they're all laughing. Each of them has a different story. Judas comes to a place where he sees it. Do you see it? And what will it take for you to see it? And here's what's really amazing. When he sees it, he does all the right things. Changed his mind, took back the money, confessed his sin, acknowledged Jesus did nothing wrong. Notice what they say back. What is that to us? We don't care. Do you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to run into the don't care people. Young people, you listen to me. You are going to run into the don't care people. They don't care. And it's not because they don't necessarily care. It's because they can't care. What do you mean by that? Watch this. Um, how many of you love me? I don't like that. That's a, that's a very poor, poor, emo emotionally, I could be damaged right about now, okay? All right? If you're streaming and you can't see, there's like five people raise their hand in the whole church. It's, it's pitiful. I know everybody at home raised your hand, right? I know all of you streamers, you raise your hand. Let's try this one more time, okay? This is your last chance. And I mean this. If you don't raise your hand, I'm going to be personally offended. How many of you love the pastor? Raise your hand. I'm looking around the room right now. I'm looking. Your hand, lift your hand up higher, a little higher. There you go. Okay, good. Here's the deal. <laughs> you me forget what I was going to say now. Jesus. What was I saying? Y'all got me off. See? You messed with my sermon. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Okay. Now, but how many of you are planning for my vacation. It's interesting. Dan, you don't count. Nobody. Nobody. Now, you know, I could feel bad about that, too. Might even shed a tear. But here's what you'd say. It's not my job. I can't really, it, it, I can't care about that, really. I shouldn't care about that, because that's, what you should care about is your vacation. Can you say your vacation? your vacation? So let's teach the pastor lesson. Say, there is your vacation. Come on. There is your vacation. And there is my vacation.
Can you, can you get the hand siblings? Come on, say, your vacation and my vacation. See, see, you understand? See, you really think that I should get this, that it's not my job to care about your vacation. You can't expect me to care about your bills, your house, your health. I mean, not, not really. That's not my job because I have my vacation, my health, my issues. What does that mean to us? What does it have to do with us? There's nothing, there's nothing in here that, ha this has nothing to do with us. You know, when I look at this, I think, huh, me? Nothing. Nothing to do with me. Nothing. It's my watch, your watch. No, it doesn't matter. There's nothing, nothing. They said to him, we don't care. That has nothing to do with us. You did this, you made this decision. See to it yourself. You will meet those people. And you will realize they can't help you. They don't care to help you. The professor is here to teach this class. They pay him a salary to teach this class. This professor will tell you that this has to be done by this many weeks, and if you don't do it, you flunk. So, your grades, his job. You understand? You have to be really clear about this. You, your parents right now, they're all over you. But here's what happens eventually. You do enough stuff, say enough stuff, act grown enough, they say, your life. They have to. It's not that they don't care. They have to because you won't listen anyway. So they say your consequences, your life, your issues. There's, there are things in your life you come to where you understand, I can't control that. And if you hang with the wrong people, this is how they'll tell, they'll admit, hey, um, you sold, you got, you got paid, forget it. And so when they do this, this is the sad part. Throwing down the pieces of silver and the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Now here, here's, here's a lesson in this. There, there are a couple, three things I want to say. Who knew he was that depressed? Who knew that he was that lost? Who would have thought that, you know, here's a guy, understand that, he took charge. But somewhere in his mind now, he's thinking in a way that's unhealthy. And he has, hear this point, no one in his mind to go talk to. The guys he went to talk to didn't care. They're, they're just people. You, you can get to a place where you're isolated, and if you don't know how to think right, why would, if I were talking to Judas, I'd say, listen, it's not worth it. You're, you're, you're overly, you're overly, you become obsessed, and now you're so obsessed, you're misdefining life. You know, the guy you dated doesn't want you anymore. So now, you want to kill yourself. Really? I mean, 
I mean, you, you're misdividing this. No, I can't live without, without Ricardo. Without Ricardo, life is not. No, 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 wait, you're thinking wrong. Or Ricardo, or whoever it is. You know, you just you have this in your brain, and this is important. You can get to a place, look at me carefully, emotionally. I know people who've done this. I've counseled people who didn't listen to me and went and did this. And they're no longer, no longer with us. I tried hard and was unsuccessful. What is in Judas's mind? What's in his mind that makes this guy who was taking charge, trying to do it right? Here's a question. You think he went to heaven? I hope so. I, I mean, I, I, I'm ho I'm hope so. I hope so. My wife says, you know, Temple, you know, when I grew up, people used to say, if you commit suicide, that you automatically go to hell. Well, first of all, it's not biblical. The Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible talks about, if you destroy your temple, um, God would destroy you. That's really talking about moral, moral um, um, defilement in Corinthians. But let me, let me make a bigger statement. Some of you aren't killing yourself instantly, but you're surely doing it slowly. You're on a suicide track slowly. You're, you're, just, you're just eating yourself right to the grave. You're lazying yourself all the way to the grave. Can't you feel the rigor mortis? Some of y'all stiffening up right now. You can't, you, you can't get that leg to it's dying. I'm telling you, that leg, you ain't moving. And it's, I ain't, I'm dying right now. I, I want you to understand something. I'm not, I'm not advocating a license that will harm yourself that God approves of it. I don't believe that. But I know that God, God, God's more concerned about the state of mind of a person who wants to harm themselves. Who in the, because these guys reject him, because he feels this is his last hope, what, what's in his mind? That these guys are going to care? He's gone to people who don't care. Who can't care because of the way they think and because of where they are in life. This is your life. You know one of the biggest issues with pastors? Um, this is the truth. You may not know it. Secret. Don't tell them I told you this. Shh. Depression. Why? What do you think? You want to know why? Here, come up here. I'll show you. Yeah, yeah, come up here. Here. You know why? Here, stand right here. Okay, go for it. <laughs> do something. Just say anything. Notes are right there if you want to. What number am I on? Whatever number. Yeah, I'm at the last point. Finish it off for me. Go for it. Uh, yeah, feels good, doesn't it? Doesn't it? See, this is, isn't, it, isn't it awesome? You didn't like that, did you? No, go ahead. Yeah. It's terrible. Anybody else want to come up? It's terrible. People looking at you, staring at you. Sometimes they go to sleep. <laughs> it's on your nerves. You just, you know, you just, and then if you're on video, you, you see yourself and say, oh, Jesus, I hope my hair combs. Brush my teeth. Everything's, you just get nervous. And you just, and their preachers are nervous wrecks. Their wives, they, they put them under pressure. They got to, some of them, some, and I'm not against them, I'm not mocking anybody. I got to wear a certain hat. You got to look a certain way. And some of you say, oh, 
You know what? And then some of you non-pastors' wives, not in our church, not in our church. I'm not picking on anybody. I have nobody in my mind, okay? I've been places, oh, a pastor's wife should do this, and a pastor's wife should do that. Please, that would be crazy. <laughs> Jeans and T-shirts, that's her every day if, if we allow it. <laughs> that's her. Been her. When I met her, she had jeans with holes in the knee. She was, um, it was, and you have holes, it was neat. Would you, you remember? I think you had holes. Yes, you did. It was, whole, it was right, right there. Second time I saw her, she had, she had on, what, flip-flops? Flip-flops, and she was fine. <laughs> Lord, have mercy, Jesus. Put that on again. I was fine. She was good looking, I'll tell you. <laughs> Woo! I'm okay. Get back in the spirit. Anyway. My point is, I mean, what was my point? Uh, <laughs> so that's the second time y'all got me off in the sermon. It's your fault. What was I saying? Yeah, pastor's nervous, right? You know, when you, when, you live, when you live under these pressures and you're trying to impress people and you're trying to come with something to say all the time and you don't know what to say, I think that's why sometimes we just get up here and just moan and scream. I ain't got nothing to say. Ah, well, I'm trying to dream of something. Jesus. Come on, say Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Really, I'm praying, Lord, help me, Jesus. I ain't got nothing to say but Jesus. I mean, I understand it's pressure. It's pressure. It's frustrating. And don't throw the money on top of that. Can I just ramble on for a minute? Just put the money on. Then you got to ask people to give. That's just hard, too. Sometimes you just say, just don't give nothing. Just to get it. You got to dream up some story or sell some, some Bible verse or something Get up here and tell people, well, the Lord say give, and you need to tithe and honor God. Sometimes you just want to go home yourself. Forget about it. Just let everything get cut off. I don't care. <laughs> tell the staff to believe God for their money. I don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> I don't know when y'all going to get paid. Just hold on to God. I don't know. I'm going to get me a job, another job. I can't take this. I counsel preachers. <laughs> what, kid, what kid told me to say? He said, he said, he said, he said oh, boy. He said, I was, I, he, said, he was in Bible college. He said, I was so glad my daddy wasn't a preacher. He said, all my friends in Bible college, they're preachers, their daddy, their daddy's a preacher, they're poor. That's a sad testimony. Make a nervous wreck. And, I, and, and, and lately, there have been preachers who committed suicide. And I, you can Google it. One preacher, because they were going to you know, reveal he had some relationship with somebody. And he went on and killed himself. You just need to tell him you're sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I messed up. I'm, don't, don't kill yourself. No, don't kill yourself now. That's too much sorrow right there. That's too much. Mm -mm. I say that. I'm not mocking anybody because I know the people. I know people. I know people. And I know all these stories. And I know a lot. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I see, I see how some of you, you're laughing, and it's good you're laughing because you've been thinking thoughts that aren't healthy. Judas was a guy who got to a mental place that was unhealthy. You care too much about what people say, your size or somebody bullying you or whatever it is. Don't, don't, don't harm yourself. I want you to notice this is a guy, though, who should have three and a half years earlier changed the way he was thinking. How long have you had to fix this? How long have you allowed depression to live in your life? How long have you allowed yourself to become obsessed? That's why I, I refuse to be obsessed with being Pastor Rick or a pastor of the church or any of that. I refuse to be. 
I refuse that. I reject it. I will not be that way. I will not be that way. I refuse. I'm not doing it. I look at what it does to people. I look at what it does to celebrities. That's another whole level of lesson. People who have achieved a lot. In Judas's mind, he should have been at a, here's, watch this now, at a certain place at a certain time in his life. And because he wasn't there, he became obsessed and out of control and went and betrayed Jesus. Then he became obsessed about that, and so he ended up killing, killing himself. You can lose yourself with these dreams and these ideas. You should care about your life, but never become obsessed. And so, an amazing moment to see this young man lose his life. Next week, I want to take a turn, and I want to come back to this in another way. And I want you to think about two things. One is, are you taking charge of your life before your time runs out? The clock is still ticking. Are you doing that? And then the second thing I want you to think about for next week is, When's the last time you took charge and saved somebody else? I want to switch a little bit next week because I want to talk about you saving somebody else. And there are three questions I want you to think about. Who is waiting for you to save them? There's somebody out there waiting for you to save them. There's somebody like a Judas who's lost. There's one person that needs your time and attention. Who are you trying to save? Can you name somebody? If I were to give you a piece of paper and say, write down the name of the person. Name them that you're trying to save. And it can't be your family member. It can't be your cousin. It can't be anybody in your family. Name somebody that you're trying to save. Thirdly, what will you give up to save somebody? How much will you sacrifice? I want you to do this with me, please. I want you to take one finger and raise it to the air. One. I want you to commit to touching one life. I want you to commit next year to saving one person from a life that they don't need to live. One person. Judas didn't have one person. One person. None of the 12 guys, 11 guys went and found him. I'm not blaming them for that, but it's interesting. One person. Maybe, wouldn't it be amazing if you had two? Wouldn't it be amazing if you said, I'm just going to in the next 12 months touch two people? You put your hands down. Now, here's what I want you to hear the rules. You ready? It can't be somebody in your family. It can't be your siblings, your cousins. It's got to be somebody that's not blood related to you. I make a commitment to personally engage people that are not related to me. And I have an advantage because they come up to me all the time. And I don't include church people. For me, I, I exclude anybody who attends my church. I include anybody who's a member. I, I, I exclude all those people. I get stopped so much by people who don't know me. It's hilarious. And I love it. And I'm always striving to engage them. Because I want to find a way that I can save you. I even pray this prayer, Lord, put me in places. I went someplace the other day. I wasn't even supposed to go. I just kind of went there. And Diane and I were sitting there, and, and I, I walked in this place, and I saw this guy who was sitting. He was sitting on the curb, and he saw me, and he said, hey, aren't you? 
And I said, yeah. He said, hey, man. He said, uh, he said I, I know who you are. And he started asking me questions. And then he started telling me his life story. And I thought, right then on the spot, this is my moment. Not to preach to him. Not to give him a sermon. Some of you are always doing that with people. You scare everybody around you. People hate to see you coming with your Bible. You're just a walk and talk. Bible is the, and the Bible said, and the Bible says, stop all that. What do you want me to say? Hello. How are you? Let your light so shine before men that they may what? See your good works. Don't show you off your Bible knowledge. Don't you know that I'm a gunslinger in the scripture? What? Huh. Bring it. I've been to school for this. I love this stuff. Man, are you kidding me? I am so quick and fast on the draw. I know I'm ahead of folks when they're talking to me. They're trying to think of the verse. I already said it in my head. I've been a gunslinger for a long time. I was a teenager. But they don't need to hear me quoting a bunch of verses to show off what I know. Romans chapter 7, verse 3. That reminds me of Matthew chapter 9, verse 8. Now, that's right. That's the Hebrews chapter 6, verse 7. Nothing. People get so sick of you. <laughs> Preaching all the time. Just save them. Help them. I want to find somebody that wants to go to school. I want to find a young man. I mean, I'm hunting guys. I'm, I'm trying to find people who want their life to be changed. I, I, I help people put together life plans. Not people in my church only. I saw a young man the other day. He, he, was, he, was, he was doing some work at a, at a, uh, at a, uh, at a restaurant. And I, I asked him, I said, how you doing, man? I said, what do you, what's your dream, buddy? He said, I want to do this. He told me what he wanted to do. And I, I don't know why he said it. I don't know why he said this to me. It was a moment of honesty that was amazing. I said, well, what stopped you? And he said, I can't read. You can't. <laughs> I couldn't hardly move. You can't, you can't. He said, no. He said, man, I can't. I can't read. Oh, I'm going to fix that, bro, man. Oh, you're talking to the right brother. I'm going to fix, I'm going to fix this for you. You don't even know who you just met. In my mind, I already had the teacher in my church that I was going to recruit. We were going to have private reading lessons for him for free. And once we got his reading right, we're going to get that boy going. We're going to get that boy on into college. Oh, what? What? He met the right one. I'm going to save this one. That's what I said. And I threw, I went and got, hey, man, got me up. I said, here's my number. Here's the deal. So I make a deal with you. You call me. You call me? You call me, man. I promise you, I help you. You know my name? Yeah, I know your name. Good. Well, you call me, and I promise you that I will help you. He never called me. 80% never call. But I keep fishing. Because I'm trying to find the... Come on, get your finger up. I'm trying to find the... No, don't clap for me. I'm trying to find the one. Just one. Just one. I want to find the one person who wants their life to change. Yeah, Karita, I was going to send him to you. That's who I was going to send him to. I said, I'm going to send him out because I know I've seen her. I've seen her work. I said, oh, oh, boy. 
Oh, yeah, boy. I got somebody for you. I got somebody that will sit you down and teach you. I, my wife would jump all in the river. She would say, I taught first grade. I'll make sure. She'd teach him phonics. You want to you really be effective for the kingdom of God? Take charge of your life and go save somebody. Did you learn something today? I hope so. Uh, Father, in Jesus' name, guide us to the one. We're taking charge of our life, giving you the master key, not because we want to just be strong ourselves, but our ultimate goal is to impact somebody's life. That's what we're trying to do. The only reason we want these facilities, the only reason we're doing what we're doing, and the only reason we're giving the money, the only reason we're gathering is because we want to be effective in touching people's lives. It's all that matters. It's all that matters. It's not filling up chairs. Our sons are being killed in the streets. It's not about fame and fortune. It's about having the power to make a difference. It's about having people in my life that can help me help people. Lift those hands up high. Father, touch everyone in this room. May they not just protest in the streets. May they protest by touching one. Every protester went and grabbed one young man. One young man. One young woman. In the name of Jesus. Help us see what really matters. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Put your hands down for a minute. Hand me my chair, would you? I'm gonna, can I just take two more minutes? I'm going to tell you a story. This week, I, um, I went to a school. I won't say which one. Let me put it up here. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And um, we started this I told you there's four tribes in our church. Missions tribe, digital tribe, church tribe, community tribe. Each of them is trying to find one great thing they can do to make a difference in our community. And the tribes met, community tribe met, and they came up with the strategy. They've chosen two schools, one I don't even know yet. They haven't told me the other school, which is fine. I, that's what I love. I love the fact that they're working on their own and they're doing their own investigations. So they brought me one school and they sent me to this school and my assignment, they assigned the pastor a task. Go and introduce yourself. Tell them our plan and let them tell you what they need. Now this was my idea. The whole tribe thing was my idea and the whole assignment they have, I gave to them. But when they, when they had conceived the idea enough and worked it together enough, they, they said, okay, now it's time to take the first big step. So I went to the school, 
And um, I'm not saying the school for a reason, but when I went to the school, I sat with the principal and I, I laid out our plan. I said, we don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. We want a list of your current needs. So they're putting that together now. And our goal is to adopt your school. And our goal is to give you as much support as we can possibly give you, whether it be your uniforms or whatever. And so they gave me a list of some ideas. And it was so powerful. When I sat there and he looked over at me and I said, there's nothing attached to this. If you need volunteers, they won't come here and preach. They're just going to serve. In that moment, sitting in that chair, I felt like I am in the will of God. This is why we exist. To make a difference in an unselfish way to help them be successful. That's why we're here. And it's my vision to see not only us do more, church, more schools as this plan evolves, but to inspire other churches to do the same thing. And I want to see us say, we made a difference in one school, two schools, three schools, four schools. I want to live to make a difference. There's a book I'm reading right now called Happier. And in this book, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have any in the bookstore, so don't ask me. They're, in the book, they're not in the bookstore. Most of my books, <clears throat> Diane say, are not in the bookstore because they're kind of boring. Tal Ben Shahar, T-A-L Ben Shahar. It's a book on, called Happier. I'm almost finished. I got like 45 more minutes of the book and I'll be done. And he said something that was so profound. He said, people are not happier because they possess something. There's no job, there's no amount of money. He says that even, even describing your work, he said this profound thing. I listened to it yesterday. He said, there's, when people look at their work, it's a job, a career, or a calling. When it's a job, it's all about money. When it's a career, it's all about promotion. But when it's a calling, it's about life. It's a feeling. This is my calling. And when I sat in that chair, in that principal's office, I said, this is my calling. This is my calling to make a difference. Church, that's why we exist. If we give money, pool our resources, pool our time, build facilities, it's for that reason, so that we can simply make a difference in the world around us. And when I'm not in this seat, when somebody else takes my seat, they will make a difference. And what will happen as the years go by? And let me just show you if I can. You ready? I need, I need four guys. You two, come on back. I need you two. Line up over here. Line up over here for a second. I want you guys to line up over here. You ready? Okay. Now, you ready? Get up over there. Line up over there. You ready? Yeah, stand right there. Get in. Okay. Now, now watch this. Now, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Beth, get in, get in the second part of the line. Christina, get in the back of the line. Come on. Get in the line. I just need to mix it up a little bit. Get in there. Jump in the line so far. Just jump in the line. Stand right there. You ready? Now, I want to make, make a point that's really, really crucial. This is so, so valuable. 
to me, and it's amazing. Diane, here. You come sit here first. I didn't start this church. I didn't start this church. Her mother did. And I'm just in line. I'm just in line. For five years, her mom dreamed this up, prayed it up. And then she got out the chair. And it's my turn. Her whole life was about school and education. The whole foundation was about making a difference. And I get to be here for a long time, so long that you forget about her. But then one day, new preacher going to show up, and I'm going to be gone. And a new pastor is going to come. Don't you feel the power of pastor? <laughs> and then another pastor will come. And when another pastor comes, that pastor will lead and do that part, their part. Then another pastor will come. And hopefully every pastor will be touching, hold up one finger, one. And then when that pastor finishes touching one, the next pastor will come. Are you seeing what I'm saying to you? And then 100 years from now, there'll still be one. Come on, one hand up, one. And come on, clap your hand. Are you hear what I'm saying to you? Come on. And every now and then, the world will change, and a new guy will be there, and they'll touch one. And then, well, you know what? Another one will come and touch one. Come on, say amen. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? And we as a church will continue to grow and be blessed because we get the vision. It's not about one guy. It can never be about one guy. Even in your family, it's not just about you. It's about what's coming behind you. And hopefully, 200 years from now, you'll remember Overcome by faith. Just like right now down at First Africa. They're, they've been there for a hundred and some years, just like this. And now they got the guy's pictures up on them, on, on the wall. But each one of those men gave a part. I want you to see how valuable what we do is. Did you learn something today? Come on, I hope you did. Thank you, sir. Father, we come thanking you for the call of God upon us to make a difference. Thank you for the opportunity to visually see our role in this season. May we take this on in our season so that the next generation will have power beyond what we have. And may we see how this applies to our families, our children, our children's children, the businesses we started. May we see beyond our role. May we learn how to pass the power, share the power, so that the next generation can live. It's not just about us and our moment and our celebrity. It's about preparing for the next generation. That's what this is about, and that's a sign of greatness. So we get that now in Jesus' name. Lord, bless this moment, I pray for people who come here and they, they realize, Pastor, what you said touched me in so many ways. And what I see the most is I've not been following Jesus. I've not been walking with him. And I want to leave this place committed not only to him, but to touching other lives. So let me first pray for you. If you want to start a life with Jesus, you want to get your life going in the right direction spiritually, you feel you haven't been walking with God, you want me to pray for you. 
Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you simply to raise your hands on the one praying for. Say, pray for me. That's me, Pastor. I need you to. I need. I see a hand. Anybody else? Say, pray for me. I see another hand. Anybody else? Say, pray for me. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen people. Seventeen. I see you. I see eighteen people. Nineteen people. I see you. Father, I pray for these twenty. Anybody else? I see you. Anybody else? I pray twenty-one. I pray for these who raise their hands. I pray for these who said, Jesus, I need to surrender my life to you. I need you in my life. Let this be that moment when their lives change, where they say, Jesus, I really, really need you in my life, and I give you praise. Can you pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and for forgiving me and giving me a brand new start. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, you died on the cross for us to forgive us. And we receive your grace and forgiveness now in Jesus' name. Amen.